Do you know the other day I killed a bunny? Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast, Watch Better Movies, where we like to highlight underappreciated films that we think deserve more attention. As always, I'm Ben. Matthew. And I'm Colin. And today we're talking about one of my favorite movies, Children of Men, written and directed by Alfonso Cuarón. really confused for some reason. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. Oh, I thought we... You just like, went straight in. I didn't know if we were going to do the clap thing. Oh, my bad. I didn't know if we were going to do the like... No, yeah, we're, we're good, mean, bro. Can you admit it was an abrupt start? I mean, me and Colin are both looking at each other. Uh, I mean... I mean, normally I'm looking like it. Meter... Okay, sorry. Children of Men, written and directed by Alfonso Cuarón, starring Clive Owen and Julianne Moore. This movie impressed me, I think, more so this time than the first few times I've seen it. Uh, Matthew, what did you think of Children of Men? I'd like to first come back to the pronunciation of the actress's name. Julianne Moore? Yeah, but you you didn't say Julianne. Oh, what did I say? Julianne, and it's because you wrote it without the E. Oh my god, you're right, I did. <laughs> That's why you said Julianne! <laughs> Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Julianne. Um, I'm sure someone calls her that. I've seen this movie like before. Some call Matthew Matt. Never. Maybe her butler calls her that. Julianne, Ooh, Julianne has a butler. <laughs> she totally would. She deserves I, a butler. I I love this movie. Uh, I've seen it before. Um, I I tend to like dystopian, apocalyptic, in the future type movies. Um, I was talking about this before we started recording. Uh, my wife and I are big fans of watching The Handmaid's Tale, and, and I totally kind of forgot the premise of this movie until I started watching it again, and, and it seems so familiar because The Handmaid's Tale is very much a story of a future world to where the world has fallen in shambles because of infertility. Um, there's also immigration issues. There's different things like that. Um, I mean, to me, I, I'm fascinated by the story. Uh, I'm fascinated by um, people trying to escape to get to freedom. That's always a story that can just like hook me and, and I'm in. Um, and, and I love Clive Owen and his performance. I think Michael Caine, uh, Jasper with the long hair, this might be my favorite uh, Michael Caine performance. Most of Michael Caine's performances, I just picture him being like Alfred. I picture him being much more stoic, though I know he is much more broad than that in his acting performances. But he was goofy, uh, and so I really enjoyed him. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, the relationship between Michael Caine and Key. But no, I, 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 was, I was just as enthralled with it this time as more. When we can get more into the story, I don't want to give too much away. And I feel like if I start talking too much, I'm going to give the story away. So Colin, what were your thoughts? This was the first time I've seen it much like most of the movies we watch, which is an amazing thing. I think it was funny because sometimes Matthew and Ben will try and tell me what a movie's about. But this time, because it's one of Ben's favorite movies, he said, no, I want you to go into it blind. I don't want to, I don't want you to look up anything about it. I want you just to start watching it. And which is awesome. I think this is just, you're, you're going to laugh at me. It's completely irrational. I think I somehow thought it might be related to like children of the corn. <laughs> Have you well, seen Children of the Corn? I have seen Children of the Corn. Uh, I, I did not see this coming up. And it is not like Children of the Corn. It's a very different movie. So to be clear, Children of the Corn is one of the movies you have seen. I have seen Children of the Corn. I read the short story. I did not know it was a short story. Yeah, Stephen King, short story. Oh, I didn't even know it was Stephen King. Yeah, most great movies, most great horror movies are like Stephen King short stories. Do you know that Stand By Me? Anybody yeah. ever seen Stand By yep. Me? Stand By Me was nope. written by Stephen King. It's a Stephen King novella, mm -hmm. which I had... It's not I your typical... <laughs> I have not read that. It's not a typical Stephen King, like, horror. 
No, um, this is, I'm just going to go on a quick tangent about Stephen King. People think that he's, he has like this reputation of being a horror writer, but he, his best stuff is actually not horror. His best stuff is, you know, Shawshank Redemption. That was Stephen King. Mm. Like his best stuff is the just. Green Mile? Yep. The Green Mile, Stephen King. Um, I knew Shawshank. I didn't know Green Mile. The Stand, also Stephen King. Uh, hey, you know, I mean, Stand has horror type elements. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not, I mean, that's kind of like post-apocalyptic you Again. Know, with some horror elements. The stand fits in this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite is uh, the Dark Tower series, which is a eight book series, kind of a uh, like sci-fi western. Have they made that series. a show yet? They need to. That, I think Idris Elba was connected to actually being in it, but I don't think it's come to fruition yet. No, they they talked about doing an Amazon show, and there were some set photos online that looked promising, but it, it never got off the ground. So, children of the corn. So yeah, speaking Got of how here. Children of the Children of the Corn is that movie not, used to scare me to death. Is not like <laughs> Children of Men, um, which is great. And no, I, I just <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's not like it. <laughs> no, uh, I like this movie. I did. I think it hooked me early. I real I think I've talked about this before, like on how much I like the premise of a movie, which has made it maybe a little bit harder that I had no idea the premise walking into it. But the premise of the movie that you find out pretty early on about being decades of infertility like i was like oh this is interesting and even beginning to understand that a lot of the uh, conflicts i'm sure we'll talk about more later had to do directly with that a lot of the immigration issues had to deal with the fallen countries that had just gone into turmoil because of infertility and did you notice that there was a flu pandemic i did notice that i missed that that's probably for the best well not to get too far ahead but it's how a particular child died mm. and just being in the midst of a pandemic right now as soon as i heard the phrase flu pandemic it was just like it hit me and it's so interesting mm. i didn't mean to interrupt you but like no, that's good as we watch movies now in the midst of covid they always are going to have that there's like, going to be elements I... that just all of a sudden trigger you of like yeah i i would have never ever paused in a movie before hearing the phrase flu pand- pandemic but to hear that now and it's weird watching a, po- a post-apocalyptic movie and to hear people writing stories about the end of the world and civilization breaking down and pandemics being a part of it. It's just interesting to all of a sudden watch this and I'm like, oh, wow, like this isn't that foreign of a thing to be, you know, conjuring, like thinking about. Anyways, sorry. Keep going. No, I mean, but I just I really appreciated this premise because I think it also was a different take on a post-apocalyptic thing i mean we we've watched several or at least one other post-apocalyptic movie uh the one with the train oh snowpiercer snowpiercer and so it's like interesting just the different ways things get to post-apocalypticism post-apocalyptic yeah that's a word um but i think you made a new version of it (laughs) but i i I like this new version because i mean you see zombie movies you see other flu movies you see things like I Am Legend or World War Z or that maybe I'm just caught up on zombie movies right now. But um, I appreciated this different take on what led to it being post-apocalyptic. And from that from that premise, it really hooked me. I'm trying I mean, to obviously, everybody that listens to Watch Better Movies has listened to all of our podcast, uh, our deep anthology of well, especially, especially our, our gold member fans. The ones our that gold have, member the, that uh, Patreon subscribers. Access. Honestly, so I think a fascinating thing to think about is maybe... I think when you look at one film, it leads you to look at other films and other interpretations of things. I think a curious thing to look at would be, okay, we've already watched Snowpiercer. There's other post-apocalyptic movies you've mentioned. 
and what are the causes of the demise of civilization in each of those. So and I would is, not have guessed that infertility would have led to the fall of civilization. Well, well, well I mean, it, it leads towards, uh, I mean, there's a lot of implications when no more humans can be born. But yes, but what was it in Snowpiercer? It was it global warming? In was Snowpiercer, it was, was like a, climate change? it was kind of like a second ice age. Okay. Well, they, cl- they, tried to, they tried to do something really big to counter the climate problem but they actually made it way worse yeah and they i think they started it by trying to prevent it yeah which is pretty interesting um so if you're if you're listening and you're just completely lost the premise of this movie is in (laughs) 2027 in 2027 in a chaotic world in which women have become somehow infertile a former activist agrees to help transport a miraculously pregnant woman to a sanctuary at sea that he did not know was pregnant yeah so it's like it's like everybody in the world you you kind of already i'm sure you already put this together but everybody in the world this movie um is infertile like there's nobody can have babies for the last uh 18 years and they don't really know why they don't know why we never find out why it's not really that important um the why i don't think is too important well i think an interesting character plot is um i I think to look at the stakes in a movie of like okay like what what is what's on the line stakes yeah yeah and originally for clive owen's character is what's his name theo theo uh theophilus theo. or, or the, whatever they called him anyways the stakes for him at the beginning aren't to save the life of key right and i think this is the case in a lot of storytelling is that what is at stake tends to change yeah i actually love how um how how like what you just said how it how it begins the the first shot actually is everybody is glued to the tv and you don't see you don't see the TV. You hear it, but you're the shot is right on everybody in this coffee shop, and they're just glued to the television screen of the youngest person in the world. Of the youngest person in the world had just died. Who apparently was just absolutely <laughs> a wenka. So, <laughs> my point though is that they're all they're all really invested. Main character comes on Theo. He gets his coffee. He glances for like a second, and then he leaves. You, right there, you know this character doesn't care about what's going on he we uses it to get out of work later yes but, he does but it's like he <laughs> i'm sure his priorities really are me, boss i'm so sorry yeah. i can't do anything <laughs> sure else that might today. have happened a few times to some people in employment in the, over the past year so oh yeah so his his uh attitude on the world how he views um his the world around him is important and uh mm-hmm. it starts one way and then and then changes soon in the well yeah because i mean you find theo not as a heroic character and honestly i think you find him as someone who walks out of that room who is apathetic and cynical in many ways it's because seeing a young person die as we come to soon find out is he's so disenfranchised because his young person his son dylan ultimately died yes and at this point he's coping he used to be an activist he used to be actually being somebody who wanted to help change the corruption of society because in the midst of infertility you have all these different groups that are trying to lead to uprisings and be the people in power and he used to be someone who cared and he lost the ability to care through the loss of a son and he became somebody who cared around him not even a flask i love that he doesn't even care to carry a flask he just like carries a straight up bottle of liquor in his pocket wherever he goes you you don't do that (laughs) <laughs> uh, don't recommend it probably um and if anything be a little bit more con- concealed but conceal and carry but you know he's not a hero and the reason he initially ever tries to get involved in helping this girl get to a boat to this quote-unquote human project not even quite sure still what the human project is yeah, i don't know if that's a real thing in real life but i just well, i don't I even know if in the movie because even in the movie they're like is it real is it not real is yeah this it's thing like this exists? uh this like myth you know that oh maybe they're finding a cure you know it's kind of like but the, the, whole st- zombie the stakes thing. for clive owen's character at the beginning is five thousand dollars yeah the whole reason he's doing this thing is not the least bit about ethics it's not the least bit about helping a girl who he doesn't even know is pregnant the stakes at that time are selfish 
Yeah. But then I love the character development that we see that that shifts. The stakes change. Ben started to talk, and then Matthew and I really talked about it. But the thing I mentioned earlier, uh, Ben loves this movie. And I'd love to... You started talking a little bit about the story, and I think that might have been getting at some of what you love about it. But I'd love to just hear why does this movie stand out so much to you, Ben? And then maybe we can transition to talking through some plot points and what we liked and didn't like. So just, like, how why it stands yeah, out Yeah, I mean, why, why is this yeah. one of your top... <clears throat> 10 movies because of how unique it is i think uh i mean i could i could say some plot points what do you think makes this unique what makes it unique was um i could just get right into the the biggest thing is the long takes that's whatever i knew the cinematography would be the reason the cinematography is a reason um i wouldn't say it's the main reason because i actually think the the story itself and how they how they tell the story is a bigger reason but the cinematography is breathtaking is the to the videographer in the room would it be considered the amazing tracking shots the, like the long takes the like the moving camera yeah i mean like most of this movie is handheld so yeah i guess it is yeah like a long take because I mean, a lot shot, of sure. movies or shows you watch you don't actually notice the camera yeah and this movie is very unapologetic of yeah it's you are moving with the shot another thing i love um that i actually didn't uh, there's a couple things I didn't realize until the second time I viewed it. Like, for instance, I didn't, I didn't realize, um, I didn't, I didn't notice the thing about his, uh, um, his past, like a lot of stuff about his past, his son. Like I didn't even, that kind of went way over my head the first time I saw this movie. And the second time I watched this movie, I also noticed that the camera never leaves Theo. If you think about other movies, they mm-hmm. usually cut to someone else, you know, to keep it interesting or they, and, and that's not a bad thing. It's just... When you stay with one person, that's not something you see a whole lot in movies. This and, movie stays with Theo the entire way. Well, and it's very intentional. So when Theo, we're jumping ahead, and I don't know how to always do a podcast to talk about plot, but basically in the plot, there's this group called the Fishes. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called? They're that's called the Fishes. That's not what you would name your anarchy uh, <laughs> well, revolution Wait, group. wait, wait. Which one were the well, Fishes? Well, the Fishes were who Julianne Moore, her character, uh, she yeah. was the head of, and then obviously she tragically dies. First off, you know this movie's not going to be normal when someone of Julianne Moore, like she is a prestigious actress. Mm-hmm. and to She dies wa- real fast. When she dies this early in her role, I mean, her screen she time. Dead. Very dead. Spoilers. Very dead. Yeah, I mean, this our podcast doesn't even apologize for spoilers, but when you realize that she dies this quickly... This is, I remember the first time I watched it, I was blown away that she would die this quick. That whole scene is just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I keep like, I just, that's the point. We're praising this, this movie, but that whole scene is just nuts. It's, it's, uh, I wrote it down actually. It's so in one, it's all, that's all one take. It it all happens in the car. Okay. In one take, they are, they are mostly in one car, play a game with a ping pong ball, get ambushed, lose a loved one kill some cops all while listening to one song i did not catch the all while listening to one song that all happens in one take i'm just saying i did not see the cop killing coming either yeah well that's when you realize at that point and i don't even think theo got it but that guy luke uh what's that guy's name uh the actress that uh, the actor that got he's in a 12 years a slave guy yes 12 years a slave actor uh i'm sorry um but when you see him shoot those cops Mm-hmm. At least for me, all of a sudden, it's like, this is, something is not right. But in the midst of panic and hysteria, I don't think that anyone quite calculated that this wasn't right. But all that to say, to get back to your point of when the camera stays on Theo, I did not even notice that. But now that you say that, there's that scene to when all of a sudden he starts hearing, after they vote Luke, that guy's character, to be the new leader of the fishes, which is seemingly pro-immigration. But it seems like really not pro-immigration, pro-power. It's just like their whole 
shtick. It's the cover to get to. The but as he's as he is eavesdropping on all these conversations, they don't ever cut to just show the people having the conversation. Yeah. The camera follows Theo to every location he can, in the hallway, outside, around the window, listening to their talk. I've never even thought yeah, about that. The that they must didn't... be really fresh on your yeah. mind. I'm impressed. Yeah, I, I saw that scene 20 minutes ago. Also in that scene, he goes outside without his shoes, and he doesn't have his shoes. He never gets shoes till the end of the movie. Yeah, he, went, he did, he did game okay, flip-flops. Okay, did you see that on your own? Or oh, you true, that true. somewhere? No, I noticed No, it. no, I saw it. Well, because he... St- no, I've seen it a couple times. He steps in the mud, and bit. then you hear the slosh, and yeah. then you look down, and he realizes he's barefooted. And like a couple times during or... the movie, he's looking at his feet, and he's like, man, I wish I had shoes, you know, or he... Or well, he, he didn't even say it. There's no exposition. It's just... That's the great thing about it. You, yeah, you love it. Yeah. when words are not needed. It's a visual medium you should show, not tell. That is Ooh, Ben's favorite. That's deep. <laughs> it's um, not that deep. <laughs> it's like rule number one. Come on. Uh, no, rule number one is story is king. Um, so, so to you, story trumps everything? Yeah. I am also in that same mind. There is one and only one exception to that rule, but I'll get to that in another podcast. Monty Python? No. <laughs> Um, no, I was going to say, I mentioned this to, to Ben uh, off air um, before we started recording. I, I felt a little guilty because I didn't appreciate the one-shot scenes nearly as much after 1917 and how big of a movie that was. But then when I kind of put two and two together, I was like, oh, this was shot in 2006. So I was like, oh, now I see why it was so cool to how impressive even yeah. those one-shot scenes At the were. time, yeah, that was... That was extremely impressive and unheard of. Yeah. Um, now I still think it is very impressive. Oh, it definitely I mean, is. But have you have can... seen Goodfellas? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but you can look back and, and, yeah, you can compare it and stuff and be like, well, it's weird. We're far in the future now. We have 1917 and we have other things now. Yeah, well, I say that again, embarrassed a little bit of why, but it, why I think that maybe it didn't stand out to me as impressive just in its own right is because, again, seeing how far some things have come. So, for what it's worth, uh, the cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubeski, if you might have seen some of his other work behind the camera, he did The Revenant, uh, he did Birdman, which also had insanely long tracking shots, if you've seen Birdman, one best picture, he did Gravity. That's the Jim Halpert movie, right? And so he did The Revenant, he did Birdman, Gravity, The Tree of Life, um, and so you can see a lot of similarities there if you've seen any of those movies. There's a lot of tracking shots. This is something that he loves, his long takes. Do you think that's something that Alfonso Cuaron also enjoys? Because I know he did Roma, which won a bunch of awards. He did Gravity, which also has some long takes in it. Uh, yes, I would say so. And he also, yeah, I would also say Alejandro Injurito, who also did Birdman and The Revenant, also uh, hired this guy to do the camera work, which both also involve shots like that. So my question for you guys would be, why do you think they stuck with the handheld long takes? Why do you think that enriches the story in this case? I think it makes you feel more part of the story. Mm-hmm. It's more of like what you would be seeing if you were running through whatever chaotic battle scene or are in the car during that crazy sequence of events. Like it would feel chaotic and disjointed and disjointed is not the right word, but the real life's not on steady cam. Real life is very hectic. Well, I'm trying to think of a movie that's maybe done this, but I mean, there's plenty of movies like, I mean, you think of stuff like The Italian Job or other things that have chase scenes in cars. And typically you watch chase scenes and what they do is... They're like, much more cinematic. They like to make it overly produced and it's, you see it from all these different angles, but there's something very visceral of being stuck in one car and feeling trapped. You know, like instead of just being excited of explosions and things like this, 
the goal is not for you to see a show. The goal is for you to feel what they feel in the car. Um, and yeah, I, I think that it's a powerful uh, way to help people feel the story instead of just watching it. I would agree. I think that's that's what I take from the the use of long takes and handheld in this time, in this case. Normally, I don't like handheld in movies, um, but in in something as chaotic and uh, one that moves so much, in this case, I, I think it's very appropriate. I don't always understand completely how they're probably doing it. So you being a cameraman, like, are they literally like? So this is literally just someone walking around with a camera for most of the shots. Yeah, I'm sure they have a stabilizer on there somehow. Because the same um, cameraman that did Birdman, like a lot of those long takes, I have to imagine, because those were inside and they looked very smooth. They, like this almost unapologetically doesn't care if the camera shakes Yeah. in this movie. Whereas in Birdman, the long takes, I feel like it's on something on wheels that's just like tracking down hallways. Um, but obviously that's a different feel. It's walking. It's different than like running. and. Yeah, Birdman, you're right. Birdman does seem a little more fluid. Um, yeah, fluid. And the reason is because it's, it's less chaotic. Like yeah. they, there is chaos, but it's more so like we're following this person through a hallway we're, we're we're more so just following him and we're seeing what he's doing. Whereas in, in this, they, they need that camera shake to add, um, to add the illusion of, uh, loss of control, you know, like something crazy is going to happen. I don't know if you've every, I notice this every time, but I'll watch a show or I'll watch a movie. And, uh, if it's done well, I'll notice that every now and then it'll, um, like the whole thing is done in, uh, a shot on sticks, which means it's it's on tripods, right? It's just one solid shot, um, and then some, uh, you know it'll it'll cut to another scene, and all of a sudden it's handheld. Immediately in my in my mind, I'm like, oh, something crazy is going to happen because mm. they because they have that shot. Um, there's one in uh, so um, what's his name? David Fincher never uses handheld or rarely ever uses handheld, but there's a scene in. Um, You've seen him in a couple of movies. There's one in set. There's a couple in seven where it just it's all on. It's all super, you know, tripod shots, very still, and then all of a sudden it cuts to just handheld. It does the same thing in Social Network. There's a scene where it just cuts to handheld, and I'm like, oh, okay, something crazy's gonna happen. And they do it all the time. But now that you've said that, I'm never gonna be able to not see that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome. <laughs> now we can. Live well, that well, to me, uh, to me, I. Have- on a podcast like this, I like taking time to point out stuff like camera work, which might seem mundane and not that important to point out. But I think while I love stories, I also think what makes film amazing is there's a lot of details that go into place to make that story come to life for you. And very often as the watcher, you don't notice those things. And sometimes things like the camera very much is the thing that made it special that you didn't know what it was. But if you actually start to notice it, you can appreciate some of the different things that make films powerful. But I don't know if I said You would notice if it wasn't there also. You would. I think something this movie also portrays is something that the world is always looking for, even if it's not at the end of the world or in a pandemic or a lack of fertility or whatever it may be, a post-apocalyptic story. This story is also dealing with a Messiah complex. Mm. Um, you know, it's looking for like when that one dude died as the youngest person, one of the reasons these people, the fishes, they wanted this child is they wanted to use that child, not for any sense of the well-being of that child, but they wanted to use this child for power. Um, obviously working at church, thinking about a child who was born, you know, as a Messiah. Um, I, I think the world is always looking for somebody uh, to be the beacon of hope, uh, whether that's an election time or whatever. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm fascinated by stories of where people are waiting for somebody to come and be the answer to all their problems. It just so happens this is an interesting story to where people are looking for the next baby, not even to be like a person of power, but just 
that there's new life. Um, so anyways, maybe it, I don't know what y'all think about movies and Messiah complex and looking for heroes, but I didn't get a Messiah complex from this movie, but interesting. Well, I think they all were trying to get a hold of that baby. I think if anything, maybe Luke in particular might be the embodiment of that in this movie, just in how, I mean, he turned out, obviously he's doing what he's doing with the fishes in general and trying to get power, but then how he was plotted to kill homegirl and like he singularly wanted to be in control and was willing to do those very bad things to do that. So when you think about Theo's character, we talked about stakes initially it was selfish. And then all of a sudden he becomes committed to this cause. At what point do you feel like his, the stakes change that he actually turns from, I guess turns to almost being a hero in the story of making that choice. I, 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 I think initially he was stuck when he stuck on like the ground with the fishes, you know, he had nowhere to go. He was planning to go back to England the next day um, or London, but then all of a sudden something shifts. And so for you, like, is there, what do you think shifted for him that all of a sudden he decided that he had to be somebody that acted on behalf of somebody else beside himself? His ex-wife's death person. Uh, definitely. I think that was the biggest turning point. Um, and then another turning point would be, uh, Jasper's death. I do, I, and I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I, I do think that in this case it was just loss of a loved one and then loss of another loved one. And he was like, okay, these people that I, the two people that I care most about are dead. I owe it to them to finish this. Um, that's what I got out of it. Um, also, probably, probably the very idea that she's pregnant when he, because he didn't, he found out, you know, when, when, uh, what was her name? Key. Key. Uh, when she reveals to him that she is pregnant in the barn, uh, I think just that and like his whole, his whole past with losing a child. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think those three, uh, big moments were the turning points. I think I was actually going to say something a little different and I might be wrong, but I was thinking more about when he realized the fishes weren't good mm-hmm. when he realized because until then, it could always be someone else's problem. It could always be, oh, well, these are people are the ones solving this infertility issue, or these are the people that are fighting for people's rights. And I mean, shoot, you go down a huge rabbit hole right now of that in like today's time and how quickly you want to let whatever group handle whatever social issues going on, but you don't have to do anything. Like even then, like it was out of sight, out of mind for him. But then when he realized like how bad they were, I think that was definitely a factor that like he had to take some ownership of and be a part of. I think there's a very interesting conversation that I think actually shapes his motives. And it's when Jasper is talking to, um, is it the midwife or, um, the, the woman who's with key. Yeah. Like yeah. always fine. I don't yeah. remember her name. Miriam. I don't remember her name. Either. Is that, her name's is that a woman with the dog? No, 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 no. No, it's the lady who's always following key around. And I hated the woman with the dog. Oh, well, geez. Hey, you told me that earlier. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Why do you have so much beef with the woman with the dog? I don't know. She, just... she helped them. She saved them. What's your deal, man? Do you hate dogs? No, I love dogs. Do you hate women with dogs? I, well, I, 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 I'm not afraid to have the hard conversation that the hard it's the end of the world and it's between you eating and an animal eating, you better eat. What if you had to eat the dog? Oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> Do you have a pet, Colin? I don't have any pets. Have you ever had a pet? I had pets, yeah. Did you eat them? I have never eaten one of my own pets. But you would? If I was in a post-apocalyptic setting, yes. Do you know the other day I killed a bunny? I you killed not. a bunny? Now listen. Well, like intentionally or unintentionally? No, no, no. Listen, I've never killed anything. I've never hunted. But my dog, every night when we let the dog out to go to the bathroom, 
there's a bunny in our yard and the dog chases the bunny and the bunnies always get away. Well, this bunny, I think, was a mom. This mom, this was not a little bunny. This was a big bunny. And the bunny... Uh, so was she pregnant? I, I don't know all the details and I didn't want to find out. But the, the bunny was caught. And then my wife, this was the night before Easter and it was 1130 <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was working on my Easter sermon. So it was an Easter bunny. No, no, no. So, <laughs> it was so, the Easter bunny. Uh, well, my wife began to believe this. And so my <laughs> wife is dealing with absolute like trauma that this bunny, and she's making me call a hotline to try to get animal shelters to come save this bunny. <laughs> And I've gone out and I've seen that this bunny, this bunny has no chance. The bunny's eye is like pretty much out. How have you not told me this story? Well, because I've been dealing with my own trauma. But then I also realized that I could see through like the body, like this, this poor bunny was going to bleed out. And so my wife made me call this line at 1130. She's like, they're open 24 seven. Like they can save this bunny. And so I'm like, okay, okay, you go brush your teeth. Like, let me, I'll call. So I call. And of course, no one's coming to save a bunny at 1130. And they didn't pick up. So I go outside and I, I'm hit with this moment of, I, I don't know what to do. I've never killed anything, but I need the merciful thing to do was to save this money or not to save it, Lord, but to kill the, like put it out of its misery. So I, I then just proceeded to put my foot on its neck and just slowly choke it. And then my wife asked me how I felt about it and I didn't feel anything. What does that say about me? But anyways, I go upstairs. You killed the Easter Bunny. <laughs> no, so I, go up, Easter bunny. I, so I go upstairs and I tell Kristen, like, you know, what's happening? And she's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's like, it's Saturday. And it's like, Jesus is dead. He's in the grave. And then I was like, and tomorrow's Easter. And she's like, Bailey killed the Easter Bunny. And like, I, that, that. so anyways, Colin. If you had I'm to... really stuck. That it's been like a month or so and you haven't told us this story. Well, we work well, together every day. This all started when you hated a woman with a dog. Just remember that I got on this rabbit trail because your least favorite character, your least favorite part of this movie was a woman with a dog. Well, she was kind of nonsensical. She didn't use her words. She spoke a different language. Oh my gosh, not only are you anti-pet owners, you're like... Jeez. I I don't even want to say what I think you are right now. There's no reason to hate someone. There's no reason to hate this character. Let's talk about Matthew killing a bunny. Um, What do y'all think of Theo's relationship with Key, the girl with the baby? I'm just, I'm still shocked that you, that you killed a bunny and didn't feel anything. What? I, I felt, I felt. I'm surprised you didn't call like Jeremy, another one of our coworkers and friends or somebody to come and kill him. Well, I. I, I didn't cry. Jeremy's I, I, killed a lot of things. Yeah, Jeremy, he's murderous. But like, I, <laughs> I, 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 I thought I was doing the right thing. No, you were. I, I support you killing the bunny. Honestly, I, I'm pro. I like to say that my dog killed the bunny. I just helped the bunny to glory. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, actually, I'm, I, I, I'm not judging you. I, I think you did the right thing. Well, I mean, I could have left the bunny there and watch my dog then eat it the next day i'm so, sorry you had to go through that I mean, it sounds like you did feel something though because you're because you're kind of traumatized by it or are you more so traumatized that you didn't feel anything doing it honestly i, I feel kind of proud that i was able to do it why i don't know because i feel like this was the right thing to do for the bunny how long are we going to talk about this traumatic episode um <laughs> so you feel you feel proud that you were strong enough to do that yeah because i honestly didn't know if i would like i didn't know if i could actually do this for the bunny like like i just i'd never done anything i've never hunted i've never i mean i've fished and thrown back in you know um okay. maybe, maybe you can connect that to, to theo and key i actually can connect that go for it well i have to back up a little but so there's a there's a line in this movie where this kind of culminates to the whole like sorry what were you saying are we still talking about the bunny? I, no, I was trying to talk about something of where I think that his motives shifted a little bit, or at least you understand his motives. There's this conversation that happens with Jasper and that woman, and then you're like, is it the one with the dog? No, it was not the one with the dog. That's how we got here. Dang. 
Uh, this is how we, I was talking about this conversation and Jasper is talking about how the difference between faith and chance. And he's talking about faith and chance and, and how Jasper or, or how Theo ultimately lost his faith because of the loss of his son. And then there's this line to where the lady who didn't have the dog said, everything happens for a reason and said, everything happens for a reason. And then when Jasper ultimately is killed, you see Theo enraged and he's mad at her because he had overheard again, the camera following him had heard her say the phrase, everything happens for a reason. And you can tell that that is a phrase that just stings him that everything happens for a reason. And I feel like a lot of his actions and in his assertiveness is to say, I'm not going to live as if everything happens for a reason. I'm going to make something happen. Mm. Um, and honestly, I don't know about you, but I believe in God. And I think we all, sorry, that's not where I was going with that. I think we all believe in God on this podcast. But I think that very often in church, one of the most painful things that someone can ever say to someone in the midst of their trauma is just, oh, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And maybe you've dealt with somebody yeah. saying that. And sometimes there's the best intentions. Um, and I do believe God is sovereign, but that can mean a lot of different things. But for him, that was very painful. Matthew, I think on that, that night before Easter, everything happened for a reason. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think Clive Owen's character was really aggressively going against that thought um, and saying, I, I'm, I'm not going just to sit back and just believe everything's happening for a reason. I'm going to do what I can to make sure something right happens, which I think that's part of his motive. Yeah, I thought that was really cool in the movie. Um, that scene is really cool, too, because I, I think that went over my head the first couple times I saw it, but I, um, I, don't mean, I don't mean to sound like a videographer here, but I love, again, I love well, how, that, how that uh, shot is framed because he comes in and they don't know he's there, but he's just kind of, I think he's like making a sandwich or something. And he's just like, uh, he's just kind of like, he's like leaning against the wall. And so like half the, half the screen is him leaning against the wall and he's in focus and then out of focus is them in the other room. And they're having the conversation about, um, about his son, Dylan, who passed away mm -hmm. and who, who Theo used to be, you know, and then it led to, um, to your point about, um, you know, everything happens for a reason and him kind of just like, eh, you know, can I say maybe the most important line of this film is sure. pull my finger. <laughs> but Jasper, yeah, I just love that. It's interesting in his little story arc that pull my finger was this moment of just complete humor, but it also ended up being the final line that he said in his life. Uh, I just don't know. Like if you think about the list of things you want to say before you die, just pull my finger would not be high on the list, but yeah. ultimately as he is standing and willing to die though. And I, and I, and I even find there's something, powerful about that moment that even knowing that he's about to be killed that he willingly sacrifices himself and even finds the levity in that moment to even even crack a joke knowing he's about to die knowing that in his action he's leading towards you know the safety yeah that's a good point i never thought of that uh what would be your last word if you can or your last words if you could pick them i mean getting deep I mean, pull my finger would not be high on this. <laughs> I like in the prestige. His last words are uh, abracadabra. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. Have you thought about this before this moment, Ben? Yeah, uh, there's a book actually called Famous Last Words, mm. um, yeah. but uh, it's fun. There's, um, I think one of them. I forget who said it, but there's one that says, uh, "Shoot you, coward! You're only going to kill a man." Mm. I think that'd be dope. Last words. Well, okay, I don't know what my final last words are, but final last words in movies: Tombstone, Doc Holliday. Mm -hmm. I think his what does he say at the end well I mean I'll be your huckleberry is not the final line he says that's what he's known for but right. he says something about I, 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 I can feel my feet or something I, anyways you can cut this part I don't even know what I'm talking about right oh, now oh you're good um, but anyway so back to I want to say a scene that I really liked sure. at the end I think it was a bit of like a goosebumps hair up scene when they were walking out with the baby and all the soldiers just started fighting or stopped fighting sorry yeah, that was really cool. That was a powerful scene. What? How did? How did that make you feel? 
I guess maybe hopeful for humanity. Um, just in the sense of, like, I mean, obviously everyone knew how big of a deal it was, and even we talk about power and maybe a little bit of Messiah complex, like whoever has the baby is kind of in charge. But, like, everyone just kind of stood in awe and just adoration, and I thought it was cool. And I think, I mean, even just the value of human life and, like, how these people that had been depraved of it for so long just had could do nothing but stand and adore it. There's something about watching war and violence happening and to see that stop in the midst of seeing something so innocent as a child and you know, Ben just had a child. Um, and just to think about, I think sometimes as you get older and you have grown people here fighting in a war and all the different reasons that they can think to justify their violent actions. And you seem so innocent and probably why you think you're doing what you're doing, but then to see a child. And I think seeing a child can remind you not only the value of life, but also the value of your life because you can lose sight of, the value of human life because everything's so busy. But when you see a child, it just stops everything. It can just slow everything down. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that's really, really a powerful scene to see war stopped by the presence of a child. I think that's when I finally realized or around that scene was when I finally realized kind of what the, what the movie is summed up. Mm. Um, Sum it up, man. So the way I would sum this up is uh, it kind of, kind of just clicked in my brain um it was it was during like this you know that final battle and there are tons of people shooting at each other and building pieces flying everywhere and everyone was like tons of people wounded and they're just trying to get this baby out of here right and uh my wife comes in and she's you know she she's she's knows what the movie's about and she's just looking at it and she's like man would people really be that cruel to one another in this scenario in a, in a world without children um, and then I, I, re- I remembered a line that um, that was said while they were at the school. Weird what happens in a world without children voices. Hmm. Mm. A lack of children means a lack of innocence. Mm. And I think that's what the story was trying to portray. Well, and I think it, a lack of, not only just a lack of innocence, but like a child also doesn't know completely like what is right. And you really see in, a, in this post-apocalyptic story a whole bunch of people that have different agendas. And yet there's this not only innocence of a child, but you see the dependency of a child, like the lack of arrogance and the lack of pride and the lack of know-it-all um, that a child has, which as someone who preaches the Bible, I love the fact that literally you are always considered a child of God and never become an adult, that you are always in need and dependent. Um, but yeah, I... I I just had a random thought that's a tangent, but so Alfonso Curion, 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 who directed this movie. um, I don't think it's incidental that there is an immigration crisis in this movie. Mm -hmm. And little note is Alfonso is the first Mexican director to ever win an Oscar for best director in gravity. Mm. Um, So I do think it's interesting to see immigration as a, as a keynote part of um, the story. Anyways. I don't know if that matters or is interesting to anybody, but I think it's also the effect that it has on everybody else. Like this movie is more so about the effect that it has on the world and how, uh, like I said, that lack of innocence has on everyone. Also the, uh, um, the need to protect isn't really there anymore. Uh, like I, I noticed this time around that Theo, um, just does not care 
about anybody and then all of a sudden all of a sudden you know key is pregnant and then all of a sudden he's mr protective you know yep. and it's like that protective nature clicked on it's like for his, him. his the, the dad thing went on yeah this is not meant to get into any sort of debate about policy at all when it comes to immigration but i, I do think that what's interesting is in the midst of an end of the world everything is going wrong crisis instead of actually uniting together when everybody was, the world was falling to pieces, all of a sudden people that were different became enemies um, or became somebody that could be dangerous or someone that could actually help corrupt. Um, and in the same way, it doesn't show why people became infertile. I don't know that there's any exposition to explain why they were putting immigrants well, it in cages. Matter. It didn't matter why people became infertile. Oh, wow. Immigrants in cages. That just also rings a bell. And yeah. We're getting too real here on this podcast. Hitting too close to home. <laughs> Well, it, it it hit for me just when we were talking earlier about the idea of just this movie being about a world without the innocence that children offer. So I'm like, oh yeah, like that really does make sense and is terrifying. Thinking about maybe that's why it was so chaotic and as bad as it was was because of that that the innocence that children bring that we might not even realize, or even the joy, yeah, and passion, the joy too. like so many of just those that side of things. Yeah, all that didn't click for me the first few times until this viewing. Well, I don't have anything else to say after that. Yeah, what, what do you think about the very final end? Final thoughts on... Uh, what about the very end of the movie, The He died. Well, yes. Was it, was it enough <laughs> that she saw the boat? Or, like, is it enough that she saw the boat for you? Or did you need to, like, see her get on there? It was enough to see the boat. What do you think about her lines of that she is going to name the child Dylan? It's cool. Well... I mean, I think it even comes back to some of what you're talking about of what clicked in him was, one, what had made him apathetic was the loss of his son, Dylan. What then led him to be proactive and care again was a child. And then to see almost the redemption there, not only that this child would live, but she would name this child after her lost son, um, I think is also a pretty pretty cool bookend. Yeah, I, I like that she wanted to name him, or she wanted to name the baby Froly and then Bazooka. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Froly. I kind of would have liked those better than Dylan. You'd rather name a kid like Bazooka? Dylan. Yeah. But Dylan means something to him, and that's... <laughs> did you think about naming your daughter Bazooka? No. I, I did think about naming her Hurricane, though. Hurricane? Hurricane Marietta. Look out. How did that go with the wife? Not well. What would have been her, like, short name? Hur- hurry. Hurry. Yeah. Hurry, hurry. <laughs> I also tried to name my first son Logan. And my wife was intrigued at first until oh. she realized I was trying to name my son after Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> it took her a while to figure that out, huh? I'll never forget. It was like 11 o'clock at night. We were getting ready to go to bed. And somehow I slipped. And I knew never to reveal this as my reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I somehow stumbled and shared something about X-Men and about Wolverine and Logan. And my chance of naming my son Logan went away. Mm-hmm. You, c- you could have named the bunny Logan. God. <laughs> On that note, definitely go watch this movie. I enjoyed it. It's one of Ben's favorites. Matthew, he's going to enjoy it when he finishes it in a few minutes. <laughs> Matthew's seen the movie. I've seen the movie he's before. Seen the movie. But yeah, great movie. Do you have any uh, final thoughts on the movie, Matthew? No. Um, I mean, not that we always need to do this. I mean, you, uh, got, you got us all feeling empty now talking about... How... <laughs> no, no. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a family-friendly movie, even though I, say, I think it uh has plenty of redemptive qualities. I don't know that I, I, I would show this to my children. Yeah, maybe maybe that could be a good rating of would, would you show this with your kids, Matthew? <laughs> no, Clue was close last week. Clue was close. Um, but, no, no, I mean, no, this movie no is rated R. It does have language in uh, a brief scene. But 
I, one of the things I do love about movies is not to justify the content, but to also find redemptive qualities in films that can help even point towards meaningful stories that even can tie to faith. Um, and I think Children of Men has a lot of important uh, messages um, for our world um, to entertain and to think about. You know what movie didn't? Children I'm going to guess going to say Nomadland. I was going to say Children of the Corn. Oh, but can we just uh, also, Colin, Nomadland did win Best Picture? Yeah, whatever. Nomadland won Best Picture. idiots picking up. <laughs> Uh, it also, uh, Chloe Zhao also won Best Picture for Nomadland. And, or, sorry, she did not win she Best, won Best Picture. Director. She won Best Director. Uh, Nomadland won Frances Best Picture. Frances McDormand won and, Best Actress. Yeah, I was just going to say it that. It was a glorified documentary, is <laughs> all Nomadland was. Well, we, we called it. So I don't know our, if this is We the called place it that it was going to be Oscar bait. Okay, I know we go we on tangents, that. but did anybody watch the Oscars? Because I watch it every freaking year. So I, I was going to, but I'm like, man, it's just going to be What percent chance did you think I was going to say yes to that question? It was just going to be a political so, but circus. <laughs> They're just going to be patting themselves on the back the whole time. You know just, that. Just stop. Like it, <laughs> I like awards. I like lists. I like... Anyways. So, and I think they're, they're worth... I've watched many movies that I would have never watched had they not been nominated but for Oscars or other awards. So I did o- watch. It's okay to poop on it. I did watch it. something on the YouTube the other day that was. On the, on the, wait, wait. The YouTube? The YouTube. The one and only. Um, Maybe that, one day this podcast will be on YouTube. It will be. We're talking about it. If you. If, if you. If you've been thinking about it. If you think that's a good idea, listeners, let us know. Um, no, I was watching something on the YouTube that I would not have normally watched. It was a review. <laughs> Say it, say it. Who continue, else calls continue. it the YouTube? I was the watching something on YouTube. on YouTube. On YouTube that was a like summary of every movie that was nominated for Best Picture or whatever. Oh, they do that? What was their summary, Colin of Nomadland? Woman Wanders oh, they pointlessly? Really, they said really good things about it. I'm sure they did. So let me finish telling my story real quick. So I don't, y'all didn't watch it, but... So here, here's what happened. I don't know if you heard about the climactic ending. So anytime you watch the Oscars, the end is always who won Best Picture. It always builds up to who wins Best Picture. And I had no idea. No one knew this wasn't announced. But like, the end comes and they announce Best Picture. And then all of a sudden I realized they did not announce Best Actor or Best Actress. The producers of the show this year intentionally moved to have the final announcement to be Best Actor. Okay? Reason being... They 100% thought that Chadwick Boseman was going to win Best Actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I definitely did. And I think everybody I thought that that might happen. Not. The thing is that the producers of the show, and this is always said, I mean, it comes sealed, whoever they have count all these votes, the producers don't know who's going to win. Yeah. And so I think they thought, and they made a huge plan, which this was the risk, that Chadwick was going to win, and they probably had like a video like planned and everything for Chadwick Boseman, and it was going to end on a high note. Uh, but instead what happens is Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix comes out and gives the worst, like, which... Love Joaquin's as an actor, but don't ever have him announce anything in an award show. <laughs> and he comes out in the most deadpan way ever, and he announces that Anthony Hopkins wins for his role in The Father. Not only that, Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there. Um, and apparently the Oscars, he asked for permission to zoom in um, because he didn't want to fly into this. He's 83 years old. I don't blame the guy. Uh, but he didn't want to zoom in. And so it ended with not Chadwick Boseman, but Anthony Hopkins winning and not even being there and just saying goodnight. Um and I feel bad for Anthony Hopkins because a freaking amazing actor. And from I haven't seen the movie actor, actually, and I haven't seen the movie yet because it's not streaming anywhere. But apparently, this is one of his best performances ever. But I think forever people are going to think, well, Chadwick Boseman should have won. Um, and I do think Chadwick was amazing in My Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, Phenomenal. But I, I, uh, anyways, maybe not. Might not be that interesting. To, but Twitter about broke afterwards. Uh, it was <laughs> and like out like just an uproar of. How yeah, it ended. I'm a little conflicted about that because I, I really. 
I really thought he deserved it, but at the same time, you know, Anthony Hopkins is my favorite actor, so win-win, I guess. The Father. Which movie? The, the Father? Father? No, but I love Anthony well, Hopkins. I, okay, I was just going to ask your general, if, but if you haven't seen the movie, it doesn't matter about which one you thought should have won. I mean, I don't know about shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's it's really up to the Academy, and it's Which not are a bunch a, of idiots. The pick no oh, Come on, we we do Academy. Please don't, please don't. Did anybody know uh, the other <laughs> movie that Anthony Hopkins won? Uh, this was his second win. Oh my god! Uh, it was uh, not for best actor, but best supporting actor. Oh, um, Silence of the Lambs. You are correct. Uh, oh, yeah. I was about to say that. That would have been a back that I actually got. That actually won best picture. Do you know that? Yeah, yep. I know that. That's kind of crazy. I was trying to come up with the name, but I was like, I knew Anthony Hopkins. I was like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And then you beat me. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening. Ben, didn't you write an outro? Yeah. All right. I'm going to do the outro. (laughs) 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 Well, y'all, you know, thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure you tune in next week where Matthew will tell a story about how he killed the tooth fairy. Gosh, (laughs) that's worse. Is a fairy a human? I think. I don't know. That's way worse to kill a human. Yeah, fairy's not really a human. It's fairy. So killing fantasy characters is acceptable. I mean, you're the one that did it. So. What about Santa? <laughs> no, that's just murder. Well, I've There's seen no Santa Claus. Did about. Tim Allen actually kill the... Sorry. Just do the outro. I think he accidentally killed himself. He did. Well, yeah, didn't he He like, just yelled off? at the guy on the roof, and then he fell off. He, you don't kill someone by yelling at them when you're on your roof. Mm, that might be involuntary manslaughter. But then he became Santa, so... Does that mean that if you kill Santa, you become the next Santa Claus? Technically, according to the Santa Claus. Is that the same with the Easter Bunny? Because if so, Matthew. You're the Easter Bunny. (laughs) Where's my chocolate? Oh, man. (laughs) Get ready for some puffs, y'all. Anyway, check us out on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash watchbrightermovies. And thanks for listening. Peace.